All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Before we get started, we'd like to let you know that the Uncommon Gem podcast is an adult content show, meaning we may go into explicit detail or say some explicit words when talking about today's subjects. We also like to inform you that we're not paid or sponsored by any of the donations or charities in the episode. We simply just are giving it a shout out and hopefully spreading the word on some good causes. Folks, before we do continue with today's episode, we would like to address that we do talk heavily on the subjects of suicide, depression, and self-harm. We just do this out of common courtesy and as well to let you know that these are heavy subjects, but these do happen very commonly in people's lives, so we do feel it needs to be addressed. That way, if you do see it in your own life or your friend's life, you're able to help them out and able to see how to go about it. Thanks again for tuning in, and let's get on with the show. <laughs> Yo, yo, yo! What is up, everyone? Thank you again for tuning in to the Uncommon Gem Podcast. My name is Kevin Estevez. I'm the host of the pod. Episode 7, we are coming back at you. As we know, the last episode we had an audio issue. Hopefully this time around we got it. Definitely thank you again for listening to that episode, and thanks to Frank for dealing with us there. Today's guest, I'm very excited to invite onto the show. He is one of the more independent stand-up comedians that I know because he's really running most of his stuff on his own. He's really getting his own grassroots movement on his own power, his own ambition, which I really respect. But really wise guy. He's coming out from Maine, Buxton, Maine. Shoutouts. You can catch him on Twitch. His handle is neurotic underscore fodder. But his name on Instagram and his real name in person is Marcus Cardona. So definitely check him out. Folks, please welcome to the show, Marcus Cardona. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you for having me on Uncommon Gems. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was like, episode seven. Ah, oh, shit, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like dude, it's, it's funny because he was like, what should we plug? I was like, oh, yeah, my Twitch. My Instagram. Oh, yeah. I also have a podcast, too, called Meme Therapy. But I'm like, I'm only on episode six. One of my episode audios is really bad. And I like, it's like <laughs> it's like I just do it when I have free time. But thanks for having me on episode seven. I enjoy the theme of the podcast just because I have to do I do Twitch and I also do a podcast. So right. and comedy. So I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate some like it's I would say it's better to be committed to one thing rather than be like the you know master of like it's it's, it seems good everyone's like oh yeah you should master everything i'm just Mm -hmm. like no sometimes it's just good to just like commit to one thing because the quality (laughs) of that will definitely be really good (laughs) yeah i hear you i hear you you definitely you definitely have done that throughout your career though like every time i look at your instagram you're either in a video you're doing a twitch thing you're doing you recorded an album you know like you're constantly just trying new different shit can you talk about that experience especially like as a comedian Uh, well it's 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 an interesting time because we are recording this still in the pandemic but yeah it's it's one of those things where i had a very interesting upbringing just joining comedy because one i'm a filipino and i'm from maine and people and i I bring that up constantly during my stand-up set i'm not sure if people know what that means because i'm like maine's the way to state and Maine is also super rural and I started comedy in Maine before I moved to New York. And unlike most comedy scenes, I mean, I'm sure all other rural comedy scenes are the same, but in Maine, there was no comedy club from like 2012, which is one year after I started comedy to literally 2020. So, so I started my first year in comedy I literally did one, I did the one comedy club and then the comedy clubs disappeared. So then I was just used to the independent circuit of bar shows and comedy producers. And like, like in all honesty, it really isn't, it's, it's kind of like with any kind of entertainment production, like music or anything like that. You don't really need to be in the big venue. It's just how well of a promoter are you? How yeah. well of a show can you do? Can you do the talent? Can you budget? Can you market? All that, all the, all these like little aspects of it. So as soon as you see through that, it just kind of fades away. But I also started in sketch comedy. So oh, yeah. it was like, I was doing, I've always been kind of just doing too much because I was a college kid. I didn't want to use my college degree. I just, <laughs> I and it was peak YouTube time. So it was like, uh, was it? You saw like the whitest kids you know. You saw like Donald uh, Derek Glover. Comedy. Yeah, you saw Derek Comedy. You saw all these big guys like coming out with when I started. So 
I was like, okay, cool. Sketch comedy is going to be like my thing and I'll do stand up on the side. However, because Maine's so rural, you have to understand that how hard social media presence works. YouTube, there is a chance that, you know, anything you upload could go viral because they've always had like this uh, findability algorithm or yeah, discoverability. And I don't know. I was just uploading sketches and I couldn't get any traction because no one in made cares about anything online. <laughs> Dude, it sucks. It was like a hard thing to realize. They're good at word of mouth, which is kind of cool. But besides that, you Super yeah, cool. you have to like the best way that I've that I've said it is cast a wide net and then maybe you'll catch something. But besides that, you really just got to you do got to hone in on your art because I'm like, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm good in my yeah. comedy style. I'm like, I've, I've been established. But now once I moved to New York, it's its whole other it's its own beast because everyone who's there, there's like so many young people there. There's so right. many vets, you know, there's so no, well, not even vets. Cause even like, I, I was, I'm always shocked because there are like vets there who've been in New York. You've been at like the peak of it. They never really got their footing while I have outside experience. So I know exactly what I'm doing because no yeah. matter what the city, there's so many people. So you still do need something to stand out. But realistically, what I've learned in the city is you need a rich person to like you. And then everyone kind of <laughs> like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that. That's how modern art works. You need one wow. rich person to like love your art. And then after everyone's like, oh, this rich person loves their thing. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'll be rich by liking it. I was like, all right. <laughs> no truer words have been spoken. No truer words have been spoken. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because you actually, so I have a UCB comedy upbringing and we'll talk about how we met, Yeah. but you had, you had called that out. You were like, Hey man, I'm going to be honest. Like a lot of people that only make it out of that scene have the money behind them. You know, like you told yeah. me like straight up and thank you for doing that because now we know the truths about UCB a little bit. We yeah. know the background uh, shit and that's not just UCB either. That's literally majority. Yeah. yeah. Not, not even UCB was it? second city too. like a lot yeah. of it. There's a lot of improv. There's a lot of industries that part of their, cause they're still business. They're still business models. And half of the business model is literally just taking advantage of the kid. Who's like, maybe I'll do comedy. Maybe we'll do improv. And then right. they only do it a couple years. It's like the phase. And then there's like the person who goes for it. So it's very goodwill hunting esque. It's like, oh yeah, a college degree. I'm like, I learned this for free. I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I want to talk about because we have a very funny introduction to one another. So you, a stand-up comedian, were just performing one night, and I had worked at a bar with our good friend Justin. Yeah, Justin. So to describe Justin, Justin he uh, is a Bostonian through and through, true diehard Boston person. Yeah, Justin is a professional clown as well, yeah. <laughs> which is <laughs> so, a professional clown and balloon artist. We should yep. we should we should talk about that because we're not <laughs> we're not all connected through just the one friend i'm like it is it is connection through comedy i'm like yeah improv sketch stand up and balloons and then a no, <laughs> balloons and a professional clown which yeah which even oh my god this is actually my favorite but yeah justin justin's a really good creative guy he yeah, comes cool. from boston more like i've talked to him he has a, like a boston classic boston like massachusetts little bit more conservative family and you could tell he's like the funny black sheep of his family yeah yeah and I appreciate that because I know how much you, well, I mean, everyone in the service industry is different, but he definitely, yeah. New York was definitely killing him on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that man was that, hustling though. He was that, working that, multiple jobs. That, that man was hustling. He was trying to be a, he was trying to be a good fiance and yeah. all these things. And he was, he was just, he was, he was a really fun, creative dude. I enjoyed Justin's vibe, but yeah. as a service, as, as a service industry person, and I always say this, service industry people are always the funniest people. Like there's oh, so many back of the house kitchen workers. Yeah, they could probably do stand up, but their schedule doesn't work with it. I'm like, <laughs> it's, a, it's unfortunate because I'm like, because I, I started in kitchens too, but I also worked with Justin when I was manager of a restaurant or before yeah. I became manager of a restaurant in the Upper West Side. But yeah, Justin, really good dude. He taught me about the, did you know about this? Do you know about the hierarchy of clowns? We got to bring it onto the pod. Oh, we man. Because okay. I don't know about this. Okay, cool. So we've talked about, you know, a rich person finding out that you're like, like that. You need a rich person to give you visibility right. as an artist. It, there are tiers of, you know, stand-up comedians where it's like open mic or road comic, touring comic, college circuit, all these other different things. Well, I didn't know this from Justin because like I've never actually met a professional clown. <laughs> but he was telling me about, he told me about the history and you can like look it up too. It's like about clowns 
there's tiers of clowns. There's like the hobo clown, which I didn't know was like an American thing, which made fun of like, you know, the fact that people were, you know, that Americans, like a very homeless people, hobos, like that was our clown, which is a very American thing, which is, that is capitalism to the T. I was like, how? Boy. So then the highest one, like the most revered, and it's the classical like clown in the circus is like the white face clown. That's the top one. And then it also goes into like mimes are also in there. It's the non-speaking clown. So that's basically it. So that's like the top one. It's okay. So there's color, but it's also based on persona. But the classic clown is the one, the Harlequin, the one that has like the jestery look. Then there's the colorful one, the straight white face, which is a cheerful clown. Because there's also white faces, white face clowns mm-hmm. that are like sad. Then there's August clown, which is like the tramp. There's like tiers of it, like how much makeup you're allowed to have, but you're not supposed to, you're supposedly not supposed to be a white face clown unless you've performed in the circus. So that's oh. like, that's like, that's like an actual thing because the, the tram clowns used to be like sideshow acts. So they used to be just on the street, the clown that you'd see in Central Park or something like that. Incredible. But then the white face clowns literally, cause there is the clown union and it's always like, yeah. it's, a, it's always weird to think about other performing arts. I know that there's a tier for magicians too, but mm. that's also like its own, that's its own like side thing. But yeah, I learned that from Justin Martin <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and, I, and I'm pretty sure this, he told me, he explained all this while we were on the subway to go play <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons. So that should just like give, <laughs> like, I feel like that would give you the best interaction of me and Justin just talking about like that's... life and creativity. <laughs> That is so dope. Wow. I mean, yeah, that guy, he knows a lot about just more than clown stuff. Though. He's a very smart man, but I bet you the detail he brought to it was awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He would know. He was, he was telling me about, uh, no, it was, he was telling me about the clown unit. Also, during that time, that was when there was like the creepy clowns who were just in the woods with knives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> like, did talk to me about that. That's, that's like, because he was like, they're bastardizing the, they're bastardizing <laughs> our representation. They're tarnishing our <laughs> freaking <laughs> art. It is coming out, so we're gonna have to fight harder. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't understand the struggles oh, of the cloud God. world. But baskets also came out that like baskets oh, also I love was baskets. Out. So it was also in, like another funny thing where I'm just okay. I can see it now. I can see it. I just need <laughs> literally. I just need like a story. No, that's real. Like that clown. That clown hierarchy is real. <laughs> So, Marcus, as you mentioned, you are a Filipino, and the one thing I love about your comedy is that your family is such a huge, like, backbone of it, so much so that even when I've gone to your comedy shows, your mother and father have literally gone to New York to watch you perform, and yeah, yeah, oh, it's, yeah. Definitely, it's definitely added to the, the comedy a lot, because they are also very fun and unique characters as well. Yeah, man, first generation born, but yeah, my uh, Filipino upbringing in Maine is super fun, because they're both hard, they're super, both super hard workers. They both speak perfect English and the comedy doesn't come from the accent or anything like that. It comes from them being genuinely Filipino, but also being conservative, because I think that's Mm -hmm. also the thing. Like conservative in America is very different from conservative anywhere else. It doesn't mean it doesn't need to be religious, but it could be in the way that they're like their willingness to change is very old school. Now in America, they're super liberal, but I feel like growing up, it was very much like people who were just, oh, we got to America because we had to play the system. Luckily, the Filipino culture is very ingrained in the family unit. So I think that's also why they're so integral in my stand-up. Because I felt for a while, um, when my parents really saw me going for stand-up, like, you know, they they were just like, oh, you should do the, you should do something else. And then stand-up will be something on the side. And then once I started really going for it, then they're like, okay, use us in your stand-up if it helps you make money. I was like, that was, <laughs> that was really, that was really the push that I'm just like, cool, cool, cool. But it's, it, yeah, they're, they're kind of both fixated in their old ways. Like my dad, my dad's a good dude, but very much he's very the stereotype of the emotionally shut off dad who's obsessed with his like lawn. And, <laughs> but it, dude, it comes from, a, it comes from a weird place. Cause like no yeah. matter what, every time I see my dad obsessed with his lawn, I also have to realize that he grew up in the Philippines. He literally, I've been to like where he grew up. There's not that much, there wasn't, it was mostly water around it. It's like kind of swampier. He didn't have a lawn. So now he's making up for the lawn he didn't have as a child. Got you. My mom's a good Christian woman. It's taken her a while to kind of be, uh, like, you know, just go with expression or understand that, you know, not everyone has to like the form, like the form fitting. She's very happy with it. You know, me and my siblings, we all kind of took different, there's all different aspects. I took the biggest not like route that my mom planned for me when I was a yeah. child. But there's like little things that my mom wished she had like more control about. She also understands we're all good. Pe- like, you know, we're all good people because we respect her. 
However, she definitely wanted more. But now, now she that she's a grandma, she just and now that she's seen the economy crumble because she's like that classic American upbringing where I'm like, oh, college will having a college degree will get you here, and then them. That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) It'll get you in debt. (laughs) This isn't true. This isn't true. And it's, it's, it's hard. There's a point when you're, as you grow up, when you finally realize that your parents aren't always correct, but she always had this like stubborn attitude. Me and my mom, our relationship now wouldn't have gotten to where it is now if we didn't have arguments, but my sisters were good sister or were good daughters. I would argue with my mom, but it'd be healthy. It'd be like, well, no, that's not true, mom. You don't know. You're not in the class. You're not. It, it was one of the, it was one of those like annoying things because children of immigrants do this a lot where we want to make their, our parents proud there. You know that their childhood wasn't the same as yours. So it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, but you know, no one's childhood is the same as anyone else's. There's similar, there's similarities, but like, you know, it changes. hundred percent. As always, folks, we take some time to talk about a service and donation that we want to bring some attention to. And Marcus was so gracious enough to bring one onto the show. Marcus, you wanted to tell us what we're going to be talking about? Yeah. So the donation that I chose for my episode of Uncommon Gems was actually the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And it's a great institution based in New York. It's been around since 1987. And it's it's been something that obviously it's like suicide. It's, it's an increasing issue it's been increasing since like 2000 or 1998 it's been kind of on the rise especially during the pan like the pandemic year has been like a hard year for everyone but i think it's i think it's something with it's with the mental health conversation that's been ongoing there's it provides like a lifeline for anyone who have may have thoughts people who don't have accessibility to insurance and also people who are going through rough economic conditions because also people in unsafe situations no matter what like you can only there's so many things you can't control and unfortunately there are external and you know and internal factors that would contribute to that to someone you know committing suicide and this is just really out this is really the program that is just there as the safety net, you know, as soon as you have any thoughts, we can't operate without money. This is the one institution yeah. that is literally like, well, money might be the issue. So we're going to have something that, you know, that takes away that issue of anyone being like, oh, I'm going to ruin a situation. But also it also takes care of groups for like the LGBTQ community as well mm-hmm. as, you know, any kind of minority group. Yeah. yeah, super, super important. We had an episode talking about therapy and the value of mental health there. So couldn't agree more that that's necessary, especially after, like you said, this pandemic, so many people are dipping in dark times because they don't know what's on the other end. You know, they might have lost a job that gave them everything they wanted and now they don't have it anymore. So um, as you mentioned, they have the hotline or sorry, the lifeline that people can call and they also have a text line too. I feel that a lot of people sometimes think that it's not that prominent, but the numbers are kind of crazy. So in 2019, it was the second leading causes of death between 15 to 29 year olds. In 2019 as well, there were 47,511 Americans that died via suicide. It's some people that you don't think are going through hard times that could be going through hard times and vice versa, but they also offer ways to converse with these people and bring attention to these kind of details because depression and stuff like that, it's it's harder to like register for certain people. People go through it in different ways as well, but I feel that the support system is really what you need in these kind of times, so... Being able to know how to talk to these people, being able to how to suggest advice for these people is really important too. Absolutely. As Marcus said, yeah, they you can apply for grants. You can apply for things to help you in this kind of time too. They do the community walks. So right now with the pandemic, they've been doing it online via Zoom, but they will host walks where people who may have these kind of mental health issues or depression, they would go on these walks to like be there as a community and be there to help support and help be there for one another. And they have local chapters around the 50 states, too. So it's really widespread all over the nation. Just so you know, folks, the website is AFSP.org. The crisis text line is 741741. And the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. So, you know, like I said, if you know someone's going through a hard time or if you yourself are going through a hard time, use as your resource. Reach out to your loved ones and see what they can do to support you as well. All right, so now we get to the part of the show that is titled for the show. <laughs> Marcus, do you mind telling us what your uncommon gem is? Um, yeah, so it is. It's kind of a funny story, which is a story originally by Ned Vizzini. It was in book form. Um, it did come out in a movie 
And mm-hmm. it's a great story. It is really relevant to the donation because, yeah, like the plot and like the author and everything like that. It's also very common. It's very New York. It's a very New York story yes. that should be seen. And it's it's also a young adult story that hits upon the topic of suicide in a, in like a better way. That's just like an honest thing, but also doesn't end in suicide, which is a good thing. So, yep. Yes. Yeah, so it follows Craig, who is a 16 year old boy who begins to think that he is ready to kill himself. So he goes to the Brooklyn Bridge. That's how the movie starts. And he wants to jump off and kill himself. And then he doesn't end up doing it. But he ends up calling the lifeline, which then puts him in a psych ward with all these other patients. And it kind of goes through there how he's stuck in there for five days. So it kind of goes through other people's life experiences and kind of puts it in his own perspective, kind of shows what he thinks life really is compared to what life really is for other people too. Yeah, I've, I, so I've read I've read the book and the movie, um, and then you've uh, watched the movie, yeah. and then, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really, I really enjoy it. I think that there's such a big disconnect because therapy's not common in rural areas, but it's super common in New York. And at this point now, therapy is kind of like a weird rich person flex. <laughs> kind of just like to yeah i go therapy it's just yeah by the way i have money and like that's that's like that's like a weird thing but it's this movie was really interesting because before i even did stand up i was also like in that stressed out age because it's like right around 16 is when craig is freaking out and new york's tier system for schools is oh abs- God. is absolutely insane i'm so glad i did not go to school in new york city <laughs> because literally it's like you need to get into this elementary school to get into this college. Yeah. It's like, how did this system get set up? Because I met I met people who've grown up in the New York New York school system from like birth, and it's like they are they are like so wound up, especially as especially the kids. But also living in New York, its own unique experience. I'm very happy I grew up in like a rural area. I I've seen kids just like on subways late at night and i'm just like yeah i was at home at this time definitely like sleeping because my curfew was here so and also <laughs> that i didn't have this much mental stimulation because yeah that's one thing that people don't really understand about like, people who do choose rural versus people who choose city because i'm like no matter what the stimulation of new york city is a lot yeah so like it's even with constantly my, moving it's just constantly yeah, vibrating there's, there, there's constantly, constantly there's people constantly moving there's so many people there's so many things that are like thrown yeah. in your face daily in rural areas i could tell you that there's easy to build a routine and it's easy to build mm-hmm. a routine in new york city but you don't have like necessarily two days that are exactly the same and like the exactly. rural areas i literally have days where i'm just like it's exactly the same interaction. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm I'm fine with that because it's not like Groundhog's Day, yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not overwhelming. Because like yeah, I had I got diagnosed with ADHD right 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 before SATs. So my issues that I had growing up, I used to so I used to be like when I they found out I had ADHD, it was funny because I didn't feel like I did. I thought because I was getting tested for mentally, I was getting tested for, you know, just to see like how my IQ was and like my mm-hmm. test taking abilities. But because I proved that I was pretty intelligent for my age, but my approach to test taking was that of someone with ADHD because I was a I was a section jumper. So I'd like start in this section, jump to this section, jump oh, to this section, you. do that one. And they told me that. And they prescribed me like, you know, medication and stuff like that. And that was, uh, I was on Ritalin at the time, which is, it's like a big jump and it's right before SATs. I'm already stressed out. I'm taking these things. And I I did, before SATs, I doubled my dose because I thought it would help. I got withdrawals and it was like the worst thing. So I've never, I haven't been on any kind of pharmaceuticals since then. So it's my own mental thing. But there's also like, when I moved to New York, I like really found my, I felt like I fit in. My rhythm was just there because of the, I was just so used to under stimulation. So like, I always make the joke that I'm like, do I have ADHD or did I just like live in the country? You just don't have that overstimulation. And in this, in it's kind of a funny story when Craig's going through like all this stress. Cause I'm like, the movie does it really well. It shows the manic like levels of Mm -hmm. what he's stressed out about. Like then everything changed. Girls, grades, parents, two wars, impending environmental catastrophe, a messed up economy, all these things seem to come out of nowhere, like on the same day. How his relationship, like, you know, if he doesn't get into this school, yeah. how his <laughs> relationship president, get there. He doesn't yeah. get like this huge mansion. Like they show like a really cool detailed like montage. What would happen if he didn't get in? 
then I wouldn't be able to put it on my college applications, which means I wouldn't get into a good college. Adam Smith could have foreseen the inequities of modern capitalism. If I didn't get into a good college, I wouldn't have a good job. Diffusing the situation in Iran through unilateral diplomacy is my top priority as Commander-in-Chief. It's so funny because I'm like, that pressure, that pressure is there. It's just, especially at that age, because you're, tr no matter what, the reason why we put so much pressure on the kids at that point is, is unnecessary because for some reason we're just, yeah, your life needs to, you need to be doing X, Y, Z by this age. And yep. it's still, it's still not a good mentality. I'm now entering my 30s. You know, I have friends who are just like, oh, Marcus, you're still doing that stand-up comedy thing and whatnot. And they have a kid, they have houses and stuff. I'm just like, it's mm -hmm. not like, you know, I'm still happy with like my lifestyle. It's just not yours. So I'm like, right. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. But yeah, no, that stress, everything in New York with that, like with that tier system on that age. That's why I like the storyline. Craig isn't the only Craig there is. I guarantee yeah. there's so many other, there's so many other ones. And it's also funny because not only because it sucks because because of the new york tier system you kind of are like okay do you want to be a scientist or do you want to be an artist pick one early on because mm -hmm. then like once you're too far away you're it's gonna be so hard to change out of that route and then you see it too in the film and then i like the way that they film it i also like the talking heads that they do um yeah yeah because it's so good because the different students you know bragging and then he just feels like average yep and that's what makes him feel that's what makes him feel super insecure because he doesn't know what he wants and he's surrounded by his really smart friend and then the girl he likes and then like you know all yeah. these things all these factors like lead into it and then he actually then goes into the mental institution this is serious business. maybe i'm not explaining right how serious this is it feels like everything's just building up and everyone else they just seem to handle everything you know like but not me you know i'm scared okay and i can't go back out there i, I don't know what i might do something yeah I, yeah i just i feel like that is like the perfect introduction to who our character is from mm -hmm. the jump and then on top of that like you know it just shows that none of the you know pressure that he feels and none of the like ideologies are out of nowhere it comes from a very specific like environment that he grows yeah so what i like about the movie too is like you said they take time to show out his insecurities he literally even says my parents are messed up they treat me very well yeah. this is that every now and again his dad makes terrible jokes and every now and again like his mom is not paying attention to some things yeah that's all he's he's like they are literally good people but yeah, yeah. i feel of the movies i have seen in my life you always want the character to be relatable, and I feel like this is honestly from the jump one of the most relatable characters. Like you see yourself so much in this kind of kid, because you probably lived a life similar in general to this. So many kids in their life, they have that crush that they just can't talk to, and then next thing you know, someone goes and starts dating them. Now they're just jealous, and they don't know what to do with their life. Or they have a big like test coming up, they have a big thing coming up, and they don't know how to apply for it, and they yeah. don't know what their vision for the future is. Honestly, the whole movie is just filled with these relatable moments, and the character really plays through that really well. Yeah, uh, well, who's who's the actor? Is he? Has it a, is a Keir Gilchrist. Yeah, Keir Keir Gilchrist. Who? Yeah. Uh, I was like, I was like, it's it's so funny because I'm pretty sure that was that might have been one of the first movies I ever saw him in. But mm -hmm. um, he's pretty. Yeah, he's been pretty prominent afterwards. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah, has yeah. a Netflix show. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, Atypical and all these other ones. Yep. So yeah, and, and it's kind of a funny story. Yep. So United States of Terror, I guess, was his first one, but. Yeah, he, no, he's, he's, he's also, good. there's a young Zoe Kravitz, which is really shocking. I wasn't ready to see, like, young Zoe Kravitz quite yet, because I'm like, whoa, she's, like, hella hot now. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 his crush. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true, I forgot. Yeah, 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 and then everyone, dude, my favorite thing is if you look at Craig, he's still, like, you could tell there's a big shift in, like, how they change, because mm -hmm. Zoe Kravitz doesn't look like Zoe Kravitz now <laughs> it's like yeah but like the glow up happened everyone else yep. kind of like you're a little bit taller version of your younger self so yeah a moment i like in the movie is that so literally it's just keir gilchrist plays his character at no point in any of his flashbacks at no point in any of the future like lead-ups do they change his character it's literally the actor himself being him as the president being him as this guy in mtv cribs <laughs> where there's oh, a yeah. moment where they flash back to him as a five-year-old I can't do it. Five years old and I'm already a failure. What can't you do? I can't even trace Manhattan on tracing paper. Uh, tracing paper? Are you kidding me? Well, Craig, you can't trace freehand and expect it to be perfect. Why not? Because, honey, you're five years old. 
and it's still him as his teenage self, but just but acting and, as yeah, a five-year-old. Yeah, as acting as, as a five-year-old, also in like yeah. in like baby clothes, in like a, in like a pillow fort. But um, the reason why um I really like that moment too is because like it kind of just shows that he really is just caught up on certain things too much, and I feel like that's a that's a commonality, especially at that age. You're constantly just introspective on every single detail of your life. Why did I do that? Why did I pick up that fork that day? Yeah. Definitely uh, really nail that. Yeah, dude. All those like weird social interactions or like mm. small steps that got you to there. You're like definitely too fixated on because mm. that's, that's, I mean, that's like your immediate life. Like you don't have any more experience other than like <laughs> that. So, and then Craig goes into the mental institution and then. Yep. My favorite thing, no matter what, is the honesty that they take where I'm like, there is the mental stigma. Like you'll still have the friends or you'll have like the the ideas of your friends because he has this idea of like his friend being like, oh, I heard you're in the loony bin, blah, 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 making yeah, fun of him. Yeah. Because there is the, no matter what, there's still a the stigma of mental health. And then like, you know, coming out, talking to your peers. I mean, it, it's true because like, especially if you have the friends who like sh- will make fun of you. You know, mental health, that's the thing that I've learned is that I'm only, I've only get really close. I've only become really good friends with people who I know would care about my mental health because no matter at that age, it's so funny because you definitely, you want social acceptance and then you definitely have those friends who are (laughs) toxic, who aren't good for you, but it's, that's just part of growing up because you don't really, you don't really realize that. You don't need to be friends with them, but under social settings, you're just like, you think you need to. It's like coworkers. Yep. I don't need to be friends with this dude, but just to make the day go by, I guess so. It's also, again, it's also, it, the movie does go into flashbacks and like moments because no, he does have a good, like his friend who like bullies him. He has a good relationship with them because they he has like mm-hmm. memories of them like biking to Coney Island. Right. That was like right. another good flashback. But anyway, Craig ends up in this mental institution. Yeah, he meets uh, Bobby, Zach Galifianakis, and then he meets Noel, which is Emma Roberts, and then Dr. Minerva, Viola Davis. Like, that's also the thing. There's This movie is, like, so stacked. stacked. Yeah, <laughs> stacked unnecessarily. Like, like, <laughs> like, like, I'm just like, Lauren Graham. I was just like, oh, my God. I was, yeah, so he meets, he meets Noel, and then, like, you get to meet these, like, it's funny because, it's funny because they do do, like, the romantic interest in the like suicide thing but i'm like yeah. i feel like i feel like no matter what that still that kind of does happen because it's trauma bonding like that's the big right. one like yeah for the from the pandemic that's a real thing that does happen yeah and then trauma bonding because i feel trauma bound to people during the like from the pandemic i'm like, <laughs> I'm like yeah we went through the same thing some of my old friendships we like reconnected and like we become stronger because when we're, we're yeah. trauma bound because we don't know what the future is going to We've been through X, Y, Z together. And then like, you know, this is helping us get through it. And I'm hoping that these friendships don't fade, but it's really a lot of relationships, a lot of friendships and stuff like that are really bound to the periods. Like, you know, where you guys are accessible and where like what you guys are currently going through. And then Noelle's character, she's in there and she's, I believe she's a cutter, I believe. Not in here. Are you a virgin? (sighs) So, um... How long have you been here? Nice transition, Craig. 21 days. Who dragged you here? I checked myself in, I guess. Kind of by accident. Um, the suicide hotline said to come. Why are you here so long? They think I might cut myself again. Yeah, she um, has which, her wrist, yeah. Yeah, which is, another, which is another big thing. And Bobby is like this adult, and he's like, Bobby's the funny character. He's the comedic relief of the movie. Yep. How old are you? 16. 16? You look stressed out for 16. You need to relax. Get a girlfriend or something, you know? I'm working on it. He, he's literally just Zach Galifianakis. That's it. Like, he's not even trying to be anyone else. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Bobby, Bobby's not a teenager. Everyone else is a teenager. Bobby's like an older guy there. Mm-hmm. And he's literally talking. He's like, I remember he's like, oh, why are you here? Like, you know, everyone's like kind of talking like openly about like why they're in the like, you know, was it, institution. Yeah. But they're or rehab they're in the institution and bobby's just like oh yeah i'm on vacation <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's, it's just these funny like things because i i think that's also like it because like you know it's no matter what i think it's always everyone knows why you're there and it's like yeah. you can't take the serious approach and i, I just appreciate 
Zach Galifianakis's character. He's just he's just a funny guy, but you know yeah. why? You no matter what, he's there because he tried committing suicide. And like they don't they don't really address it. It comes yeah, they never up. Never say it out loud. It, it comes it comes up uh, in a couple times. It doesn't come up why, but I'm like he's you yeah. know he's you know he's a dad that they reveal, and then he's he's there, so he's tried doing it a lot mm-hmm. as an adult because he's like the veteran. He's been in and out like so yeah. many times, and it's it's so funny because he also. It kind of has like this funny kind of prison lockdown like feel because yeah. Bobby's character, Craig comes in and he's like the new guy and then like everyone else who's already in the ward is like trying to like take advantage because Craig doesn't want to <laughs> eat. No, Craig doesn't want to eat. And then the yeah, guy's he has like, a Can I have He pukes often, so yeah, yeah, they ask yeah. him for his food all the time. Yeah, he has the he has the stress vomiting, which I which um I had I definitely had that while I was in New York. I used to I used to stress oh, I used to stress eat and stress vomit. So my weight would fluctuate for sure when I was in New York, but you have, you know, you have to you have to eat because that's like a necessary thing. It's good for your nutrition and stuff like that. But like mm-hmm. just those funny aspects. But yeah, Bobby's character, there's some guy who's like asking him, who's asking Craig for his food. And then Bobby literally goes, he's like, he's like, don't don't let him take your pudding cup, man. That's his pudding right. cup. <laughs> and, it's, and then it's so it's literally like so prison yard style <laughs> during yeah. that moment. And it's like, it's it's funny. But then there's all these like little fights that keep going. And then. Craig is also trying to talk to this girl. The phone system is very prison-like too, because you're not supposed yeah. to leave messages for people, and then they have to call them back after they get the message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta do like all these like little aspects of it. And he's trying to contact Naya, and she's she's talking with Aaron, who she broke up with because she made fun yep. of he made fun of Craig for checking into the institution, and Craig and it like literally shows like different aspects of like who you would see underneath those situations out and also you see like a full range of how everyone handles depression which is like you yeah. know someone who is like you know aggressive someone who is avoidant you also see like the biggest one which is mukata which is like craig's roommate yeah. that he gets paired in the guy who he's an he, egyptian man yeah, he's an egyptian man and he's just constantly depression napping he doesn't like mm-hmm. leave his room i feel like i've been through the period of depression napping i've been yeah. Oh yeah, I'm just gonna become avoidant. Even like comedy, there's a lot of comedians who are really good who suffer from depression, and oh, they're they're fully Zach, they're fully Zach Galifianakis in the whole situation. And I'm like, right. you need to, you really do need to address it. You can't constantly be Zach Galifianakis. The smallest thing yeah. will like crack you. Even though Bobby's like the playful character, there you see the moments of rage come out, and it's really like bad. Like you know, when Bobby yeah. doesn't want to talk in the group meeting. And like all these like angry things. I'm just like, yeah, you got to just be able to articulate. You can't be, you can't just be avoided and be silly the whole time because I'm like, that's just another, like, you know, that's one way to deal with it. But it's also like very fake and fallible. So I think, yeah, I think they do that well because there's that scene that you mentioned where he doesn't want to talk in the group therapy session. And it's because he's not quite yet ready for an interview he has coming up, but he doesn't want to literally say it out loud that that's the reason why he's like, no, I don't have a shirt to go to the interview tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, oh, okay, we we can get you a shirt, yeah. but um, there's like a moment where he definitely has a blow up after the interview because the interview doesn't go well, and he has this full on blow up, and I think that's cause and effect of it. Like you were saying, you know, if you keep that kind of trapped inside you for so long, at a certain point it will boil over, and you know, next thing you know, it puts you in these kind of predicaments. But I I do think that movie in the book does that really well of really showing you the cause and effect of all these situations and how it takes a toll on people and. It's not just all, you know, loony people, you know, like they are people. They are people who are just going through a rough time yeah. and like just dealing with it in their own ways. Well, my favorite thing, no matter what, is it really shows the importance of one expression, but also art. Um, yes. Because yes. during during the whole thing, they have like really good montages of them expressing themselves through art. And then like it's it's really like you get to see the beauty of like why art is important. Yeah, because. Craig finds his therapeutic relief and passion painting when he starts painting his brain as if it was like New York City. And that's also like the really cool thing about like the cover art of the book, because you just see like it's the mislead. If you pick up the book, it's literally like a head with the cross streets of lower Manhattan. Yeah. And then that's also like how his brainscape is. It's just like that because he comes up, it brings him to the flashback to where he was in the blanket fort with his mom and then Coney Island and all these other things. And then. 
you also see my favorite montage is literally like the music montage of like under, under pressure. pressure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> David Bowie and like, you know, Queen, they were both they were both very big, expressive mm -hmm. artists. They were like these big weirdos. They're very also very, very New York for David Bowie to be in the movie because yeah. that's like the <laughs> that's like the one that's like the one thing because Ned Vizzini is from Brooklyn and he decided to he decided to make the film like that at the, the the closure of it all craig he wins over noel you know there's the romantic moment but she's definitely the aggressive you know person who is like you know she she's she's got herself she's seen pain she like she shows up to like a group meeting with like, i hate boys and stuff like that <laughs> he's like oh i like your shirt like just all these like funny things but oh and my favorite thing is he like you know he he, he finds community it's definitely like a story plot point because the group doesn't really find community until Craig comes in and then like he arranges like the pizza party and then they get the Egyptian music to yep. get Mukata out of his room. Uh, and then fun fact, that's actually Lebanese music, Lebanese music. Oh, yeah, okay. they, they, they can't get one thing right for these Egyptian people. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, cool, cool, cool. I was like, all right. I was like, how when did you find that out? <laughs> uh, I, I always like to research the trivia facts just to bring for the pod. But yeah, that was on IMDb. So he ends up with Noel instead of Naya because mm. of their relationship and stuff like that. There's like a moment where he finds his value when he gets discharged. And like he tells like, you know, everyone what he wants to do and then starts like working on, you know, his friendships, you know, his relationships. Bike, eat, drink, talk, ride the subway, read, read maps, make maps, make art, finish the Gates application. Tell my dad not to stress about it. Hug my mom. Kiss my little sister. Kiss my dad. Make out with Noelle. Make out with her more. Take her on a picnic. See a movie with her. See a movie with Aaron. Heck, see a movie with Nia. Have a party. Tell people my story. Like, I think that's like the most important. You know, no matter what, you still, it is, it is work to work on your mental health. Besides the movie and book, my, the book is really good. Um, but also to understand like background of it, the author of the book did commit suicide and yeah, it's Ned Vizzini. Yeah. Ned Vizzini did commit suicide ultimately, but it's still, it's, it's not like it was like unprompted because like, you know, you've the, the book like lays into it, but right. it's, it's very unfortunate. It is a good piece because it talks about it. I'll, I'll say this. I definitely, it's, it's annoying that I find artists I like. And then they die. Of, well, they die of unfortunate reasons like Mac Miller yeah. and stuff like that. But I also because I'm also a big what was it Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith also died. There's a, a weird common trend of me enjoying artists. It's nothing about you, but there is like a weird common trend with like a good artist who's good to yeah. articulate feelings and like emotions. The movie and the movie and book kind of point out how art is the expression. And if the art is really good, the pain is unfortunately usually accompanying yeah. it. and i'm just like yeah. ah man but my takeaway from the book and movie was literally the fact that you don't want to be it was like was it the quote is i'd rather be with someone who is like messed up rather than someone who's faking it the whole time and that's it that's pretty much like what i enjoyed about that was people are screwed up in this world i'd rather be with someone screwed up and open about it rather than someone 100%. who is perfect and ready to explode because i think that i think that no matter what there is especially in like the social media age that we've now entered that david foster wallace talked about like this postmodern age mm -hmm. where vanity is very important or it's become like overhyped because of social media like oh you don't have a social media presence that's why again why i love i'm a rural boy i'm like yeah i don't need to be <laughs> on social media but unfortunately Same, yeah. my career choice was social media and entertainment. I think that this book was, I, I honestly think that it should be a required reading in school because when I found it, I was already past like the high school point. Yeah. And, and it sucks because like, I'm just like reading it. I'm just like, oh man, I'm like, this is so good. And then I was just like, I wish I had this in middle school before I was stressing out about everything. Sure. I wasn't even, I wasn't, wasn't even thinking because I don't, I've never had suicidal thoughts, but I've had the stress. Right. So I'm like, I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. But yeah. at the same time, like, I get it. I get why someone would commit suicide. You can't, it shouldn't, everything shouldn't be faced as a stigma. And you should be open about, you should be open about any kind of mental health 
or any kind of issues you're going through because the thing is you're not permanently in that point you can always change you can always grow but i think as soon as like you stigmatize something or you shame it then it kind of exacerbates the situation you should point out your problems because what or you should address them point them out have them out there when you can with like people who are supportive a community that you have because you're not going to find a solution without addressing the problem initially so that's 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 how i feel about that that's my uncommon gem (laughs) as you had mentioned that quote it's better to be with like messed up people i think that's what's important about the movie is because at the beginning he kind of realizes like oh i don't think i should be here actually i don't think this is actually for me he tries to back out immediately but then as the movie continues as he stays there for the five days he learns to live with these people. He learns to live with their like conditions and learn to accept them for that. And in, in return, they do the same. Yeah. And like you said, that that leads him to finding art. That leads him to that music montage. That leads him to getting with Noel. And yeah. I think that's like kind of more or less the beauty of it. You know, we're all going through this pandemic, as you said. And when we come out of it, like it's going to be a lot of reset buttons for a lot of people. So I think that's yeah. the, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of like the true message to take away from the movie, though, is that you know you got to learn with people's problems because we like you said we're not perfect so try to learn to live with them and try to learn to accept those kind of problems yeah man oh god i dude i feel like <laughs> dude whenever whenever we're vaccinated and the pandemic is considered officially over it's literally going to feel like the first day of school and i'm like i'm like i'm nervous for reintroduction re <laughs> re-entry like even in new york like you know even though i've been to new york and i've like you know i've seen friends I want to meet new people and like a lot of my yeah. friendships have faded and then like, you know, either gotten strengthened, but I'd say a lot of my New York friendships faded because a lot of my New York friends moved out or, or something different happened. And I'm just yeah. like, ah, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I am, I am nervous about that, but I got first day <laughs> of school vibes for the whole thing. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, yeah, we, the Renaissance is going to be crazy. Whatever this Renaissance is, is going to yeah. be crazy, but oh, there man. will be a Renaissance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's going to be an art Renaissance. Art needs art from the, from disaster. Art right. is how culture happens again. And we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta make culture for live events again because exactly. yeah, no, dude, I, I found art through the live videos that people would film on their phones like i used to make fun of that person <laughs> i've literally i've literally watched by i've watched so many of those videos because i'm just like yeah i just want to know what it's like to be in the middle of a pit <laughs> <laughs> cool so marcus before we uh start wrapping up here is there anything you want the audience to know about it's kind of a funny story or any any words of advice about this book and movie yeah, I'd say, yeah, the book, the movie's great, but it's always like one of those things where I'm like, you got to really read the book to just get like the intricacies. It's just like you're watching, if you watch American Psycho, like you don't really realize how crazy it is. I'm just like, because there's only so much you, that the movies can show you for yeah. it to get like a passing film pass. While in the book, I'm like, it gives you like the deeper details. The movie does a really good job, especially with like handling the art scenes because it's definitely more, it's definitely more colorful because it's visual rather than just like reading on a page. But yeah, I'd say, yeah, read, read, read this book. You know, if even if you don't have even if you don't know anyone who's committed suicide or is like, you know, thought about it or mm-hmm. even if even if you think that you're mentally like fine, it's just a good book to read. And it's just a good reminder, not of yourself, but also of like different people in your world and being able to recognize like patterns or like what like, you know, like we talked about cause and effect. Like if you see like your friend being like aggressive not to like you know push him or like try to yeah. find understanding because like that's really it like it's a book about understanding acceptance and like you know growing and whatnot so yeah 100%. that's pretty much that's pretty much it that i think for me on those notes yeah cool <laughs> awesome awesome well thank yeah. you so much for talking about it and like i said it's the first time i watched the movie so i really enjoyed it and i think that's important too like marcus said yes it's a young a youth novel yes it's about a teenager but me as a 27 year old being able to relate to the kid in the movie was really touching and i think it's rare to see media in general to do that to literally put you in that shoe or put you in that feeling like i could be this person or i've been this person yep we had mentioned the american foundation of suicide prevention so again that is afsp.org we'll put the link in our bio we'll put the link in our instagram twitter bio too so you know where to find it and we'll also mention the crisis text line 741741 and the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 800-273-8255. Yeah, that's the logic lyrics. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marcus, just because, you know, we're living through these crazy fucking times and you are a Filipino man, you do have 
knowledge of this and you know this life more than anyone else. Do you mind speaking on a little bit about the attacks on the Asian community, the Pacific Islander community? Yeah, the AAPI. I know that's a that's a new term because we gotta <laughs> we can't do we can't do we can't do Black Lives Matter because we come up with our own marketing. I'll say this: Asian suicide in America. I believe it's it hasn't gone up. I know that's high overseas, but yeah, with the current climate of everything that happened from the previous uh, presidential cabinet and like all the that they were spewing, especially with the you know pandemic, Asia being blamed because you know someone needed a source, um, or someone needed an outlet, the lockdown and like lack of exposure to other cultures like i'll say that it's a powder keg and then it's just led to like the racism that's we're seeing being uh demonstrated today and it's both a it's it's a cult again it's cause and effect so Mm -hmm. as an asian entertainer it's hard because we're slowly making progress because like you know our voice and representation especially in western media as an american isn't really shown there's still like a big othering of our culture because no matter what, like, you know, black Americans, we've released like the entire history of that on film and media, while there's no real representation that I've seen for Asian Americans. And it's very it's very limited too, because there's very much still like the white passing yeah. Asians. There's still like the casting of Scar like the Scarlett Johansson stuff uh. never being casted for anything. All you need to do is do this. And it's like it's not like lack of talent. Because again, there are plenty yeah. of Asian artists who are in the industries. Who you can cast who how who can do the work it's like a self-feeding cycle of what's yeah. happening and as an asian comedian that sucks because the co- the asian comedians who get pushed are the ones who kind of like lean into the stereotype like i've definitely been given advice from like an older comedian where it's just like hey you should lean more into the asian thing and then it's oh. just like there's no taglines there it's just oh. like just be the stereotype be the character I don't want to do that because that's racist. And also, wait, like, you know, every other race does it. Like, I've been in black rooms and I've seen, like, a black comic yeah. do the Asian stereotype. And, I'm like, it doesn't make – it doesn't progress us. But because of, like, the culture that we've, like, created, we haven't really – human in me- the media, because of, like, representation does matter. The media has skewed the Asian representation. So – 100%. Unless you, unless you talk to – someone who's asian like uh, like and it, and it, it varies you know you gotta respect like the old og asians because the attacks aren't on the young asians which is like because we've been given a voice but like the older asians like that's right. become like this the, that's that's what's happening now which which sucks because they can't defend themselves but with everything from the the way that we're portrayed in the media the pandemic the lockdown it's definitely like escalated to this point because yeah, it, it dude, it's, it's been a, like a weird last couple of years for Asians and representation. Like last year, 2020 was the first Asian comedy festival in New York city. The comedy scene in New York city, we haven't established like a good Asian audience, like in the Bay area where most of the audience there is Asian. Same thing with like Vegas, same thing with Toronto. I honestly think no matter what entertainers are still like the cultural definers, even like, no matter what, you still need like the face, you need the personality there to show everyone speak your truth on stage or uh, like on whatever platform you're on. So that one needs to be like promoted more. But besides that, like with the pandemic and stuff like that, it's, these are all old stereotypes that have just been progressed. I always make a joke in my standup routine where I'm just like, I want updated racism for me. I'm like, I don't mind racism, <laughs> but I get more offended if it's uh, inaccurate. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say like, I'm going to say a slur that's not good for Asians, but it's like chink because I've been called a chink before. And historically that's specified for Chinese people. So it's, you get kind of clumped in and not only beside like the other hard thing too, that people should know about it is Asians, not a unified front unlike the black lives matter movement or like you know black culture where if you're black you know mostly everyone is kind of like together asia is so many different countries and there is like the weird stigma that you know asians are more racist that to other asians and it's unfortunate because here in america like you know we still all get clumped together so we again we're like kind of trauma we're kind of trauma bound by the same treatment even though we're very culturally different it's frustrating because the one there is there are positives that come from this because 
now I'm seeing Asian unity kind of happen. Now, like Asians are coming together because of this. We've been othered. And like now we are like we have to look out for each other, even though culturally we've been very divided because we're now under attack by like the external group. It's different now because unlike the Black Lives Matter movement, it's like directly an institution It is directly yeah. the law enforcement police force institution while the attacks on Asian Americans are citizens and civilians. So the approach that we had to take and police too, if that and, case and, and police too, but it's, but most of the attacks have been just regular citizens yeah. like the Atlanta attack and all this stuff. And it's all the stereotypes that have been pushed and just been exacerbated. The whole thing about like, you know, Oh yeah, speak English and stuff like that. And a lot of this is still like world war two propaganda. And then that like even goes back further to like the history. Cause I'm like Chinese people have been around since, the railroad, you know, in America, that's led to a lot of like fun things like chop suey. There's a lot of like weird, like deep, deep historical stuff like MSG got villainized. And I'm like, this is just salt. And it just like all feeds into this where we've gotten now. But because we haven't had the platform or we haven't been able to speak for ourselves, we're not being able to to really speak upon the issues that we want other people to know without like, you know, being the stereotype because like entertainment, yeah, the mocking, the, like the, a lot of Asian comedy, the mocking of Asian like culture and stuff like that. Those those are like jokes that we lean on that Asians didn't even create. We're just leaning on the stereotypes that every other culture made about Asian people. So it's a frustrating time, and it definitely like is motivating me because like I've no matter what I always like make up the point even on like the podcast. I'm like I'm Filipino. I'm also from Maine, and like everyone knows that about my set. But it's like, it's hard to humanize or like to try to teach people to humanize a culture, especially, yeah. when, they, especially when they lump so many different people into one group and it being targeted directly. Because yeah, the exposure to culture is really, is really the most important thing. Like it should never be a friend setting where you're in New York. And I'm like, somehow it's all white friends. Cause I'm like, the lack of culture is just, it. you need that. So that way you're not like, you know, making these stereotypes as soon as you make and it ties it does tie back into it's kind of a funny story as soon as you dehumanize people in like whatever institution or someone from a certain group then you're not finding a solution you're just yeah. kind of you're at you're contributing to the problem and now the problems just got into a violent like you know reactionary point because someone we want we want the outlet for rage because we have been locked in we can't go after the government people have lost their jobs but they want an outlet unfortunately asians were like yeah you guys it started off in an asian country even though you guys are asian american most of you don't even speak the language back over in asia and there's such a big difference between asia and asian american that it's dumb that that's how small of a connection someone needs to demonstrate their anger and rage that they're just like this is close enough I need an outlet. You guys are it. Yeah, it's 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 annoying. And then it's also like the Atlanta stuff is even worse because of the stereotype, because the guy was literally like he had a bet. They said like the media is like still paying him as like, oh, yeah, he just had a bad day. And then terrible. He went. Yeah. And then he went to he went to a nail salon because of the stereotype that Asian women work at nail salons because he was like he, he killed them because of his horniness and he had a bad day. I'm just like. It's so it's Ugh. it's so dumb because disrespectful it, to those lives lost. Yeah, honestly. yeah disrespectful like, to those lives lost. But also because of it, again, it, they're all self-feeding systems. He literally had the agenda of like, you know, killing Asian women because he was like overly like sexual to them. They were too sexual for his like, you know, taste. So then he went to the stereotype, which was like, oh, they're at a, you know, massage parlor. And then he killed them. And like that again, that tie in with that because i'm like it's not like no matter what like massage parlors aren't like you know there for like happy endings that's all that's right. all old stereotypes i'm like it still happens for sure that's like a true thing that just like kind of like self-fulfilling from that stereotype but it's so hard to break the stereotypes that are imposed even me like during this pandemic i wasn't on twitch I wasn't gaming because I was also like ashamed of being the stereotype of being a gamer Asian or like the Asian who was an anime. Cause like, I'll say this during the pandemic, I watched a bunch of anime and yeah. like, that was it. Cause I, I just didn't care anymore. 
yeah, those those stereotypes. The only reason why I fight back is so that way I don't get pigeonholed. Right. But it's also it's also annoying because I'm like, for instance, the anime stereotype isn't even an Asian thing anymore. There's so many black teens we watch. Anime. Oh, dude, yeah. At a certain point, like they're like the 2000s, where like everyone was getting shit on for watching anime, and then out of nowhere, like everyone's like, oh no, anime's cool. Like yeah, if you watch yeah. anime, you're cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it's no, it's 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 an annoying cultural shift. And it definitely gets imposed on people. And there's still def- there's even like weirder things that happen from it because there's still like the weird one where it's like, oh, yeah, you're Asian. You need to date an Asian woman. The way that culture works with stereotypes and why you shouldn't lean into stereotypes is because it does affect things on like a bigger broad term level. Like 100%. the hashtag that's going around right now is end Asian hate. And, you know, obviously everyone is like focused on the Asian women who are getting who who got killed and like you know the over fetishization that's like we're that's the conversation we're getting to right now where it's like you're over fetishizing the women and i'm like that doesn't come without a vacuum because they've under sexualized the men like the asian the tiny asian dick stereotype that was world war ii propaganda that soldiers would use to justify raping asian women and then also taking up like the asian prostitutes because they were just like oh guys no we have to have sex with them because of the men here have tiny dicks. And I'm like, that stereotype got fixated. That like got propagated. It just kept getting pushed, pushed, pushed. And it's led to this weird vacuum because I bring this up in my stand too, where Asian men and black women are the most like, you know, unlikely to match on like, that's why I'm not on dating apps either. But Asian men and black women are the most likely have the lowest, like, you know, matchability. That's a cultural like reflection that if you want to see the statistics, it comes from, it comes from racism. You've imposed, like, you've desexualized Asian men, and then you've villainized and characterized the black, angry woman. And then this is what's ended up, like, this loop just keeps getting fed, fed, fed across, like, all different, like, sectors. And mm-hmm. it literally is because of, like, lack of representation, lack of humans connecting with people of different cultures. So, yeah, Damn. that's that's really what should be happening. Like, if you do have Asian friends, have conversations with them. If you're an Asian who's afraid to express themselves this is like one of the best times to be on a platform just put yourself out there just so people know and it's not shameful because again the whole, a lot of first generation born asians and like the mom minority stereotype that also gets fed into like keeping your head down and working we don't want conflict but somehow culture has like you know made it oh no 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 they love working because they're like keeping their head down i'm like no they're not expressing that's also why I'm, no matter what group you're in express Express yourself if you're going through the pain. And then if you're an outside group, listen to communities that you're not listening to who have the issues currently going on. So it all, yeah, I'm like, I'm glad that all tied in together. Cause I was like, right. yeah. I'm like okay, I'm like, this is a, this is an interesting add on to the episode. Yeah. But I'm like, no, I should talk about it because I have the platform. There's, That's what I mean. and I'm like, the representation. So I'll be honest, like a hundred percent honest, majority of the audience is not even close to Asian or close yeah, to the yeah, community. Yeah. So I'm really glad to have you on the show and to have it speak on it because like you said, it's a lot more deep roots than people may realize. There's a lot more shit going on than people realize. Oh, yeah. So. No, it's it, no, it's all it's all cultural. It's all, like, deep. You need to know the backstory. Realistically, yeah. what they should do now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, they should do the film that shows the background of it because the background of, like, the history and stuff like that of why it got villainized and it should be, like, just produced. Because there are, there are documentaries in weird ways that yeah. show, that show, like, the Asian struggle, but unfortunately there's still like the weird stereotype again with film movies and like anime and stuff like that it's like oh it's all asians this is for asians i don't need to watch this i'm just like no you should watch it just so that way you like are culturally aware and it's yeah it's it it is marketing it is like very specific things and like again there's gonna have to be a if you do a film about representation like what's going on right now it needs to be it's unfortunate because like you need we need asian voices but it really needs to be endorsed by like a rich white celebrity. Oh, <laughs> just so it gets go. like it all it from... all comes full circle again. <laughs> Dude, no, it's no, it's yeah, it's annoying. It's it's very it's very much you have a message, you we wanna give a voice to Asian people, but it also needs to be promoted by a non Asian voice oh. for it to get any widespread traction, which it's it. it's annoying. It's annoying, but um, that's somehow how the consumer we've created. It all is environmental settings and any kind of anyone who's willing to break down that border and like kind of break the stigma is contributing to the culture because it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be a message just specified for one particular group. It should be a message that's spread for every group to give a voice to people who don't have a voice. And that's that's what needs to happen. So 
that's yeah could not agree more could not agree more right and well thank you again so much for speaking on that i know it's it's crazy fucking times for so many involved but we need to get that message out because it's so important oh no absolutely that's why i'm just like okay i'm gonna go all in right now (laughs) i'm just like "Ah, i'm I'm like i thought i was gonna see red i thought i was gonna fade out i thought i was gonna cry it's fine Folks, this is Marcus Cardona. Please check him out. Please check out the things he's doing. As I said, he's on Instagram, Twitter, Marcus Cardona. Twitch, Neurotic Fodder. I have a podcast called Meme Therapy. Uh, If you're in Maine, I have Cabin Fever comedy series outdoor during the pandemic. That's going to be coming back. And then I'm going to be back in New York doing more shows, producing more shows. So, yeah, check me out there. Talk to me on social media. I'm like, there's no... There's no weird entertainer audience thing. You could just talk to me on my Twitch. I'll talk with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Any last words for the people? Make sure that you guys are surrounding yourself with a good community. Realize that you are loved. You're, you have value, even though you don't feel like it. You are going to be accepted in every group that you seek out there. If you haven't found them, you'll find them. But reach out, know your resources, know who's there to support you. And then, you know, just... Just focus on love because love heals everything. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Hell yeah. God damn it. It's, it. That ain't the truth. Thank you so much, Marcus. And thanks again to Boy Brooks for the music. Thanks again to Lawrence for the art. Folks, you can check us out on Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Apple Music. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You has got to look up Uncommon Gem Podcasts. We'll be back again next Friday with another episode. Till then, y'all take care. Thank you. Thank you.